So we're going to continue in our series in the book of Romans. And now we're, you know, well into chapter 7. We're going to kind of pick apart verses 4 through 6. So I'm going to ask you all to follow along and pay attention as we uh, dig into the scriptures here. Because quite honestly, this is the most important part of the church service right here, where we hear from God. Speaking to us through his Zoe word, his life-giving word. So I'm going to ask you to follow along in the overhead, verses 4 through 6. Therefore, my brethren, you also were made to die to the law, how? Through the body of Christ, that you may be joined to another, to him. That's Christ who was raised from the dead, that, now look at this, we might bear fruit for God. Remember that from last week, bearing fruit, the karpos. For while we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in the members of our body to bear fruit for death. Make sure you're paying attention to those two verses there. But now, we have been released from the law, having died to that by which we were bound, so that we serve in newness of the Spirit, not in the oldness of the letter. See that, church? I'm going to read verse 7 since it's not up there. But What shall we say then? Is the law sin? And I like how the King James puts it. God forbid. On the contrary, I would have not come to know sin except through the law. I would have not known about coveting if the law had not said you shall not covet. So last week we kind of looked at the relationship that we have to the law. We've looked at that through this series called The Awakened Conscience. And we last week we kind of peeked at how Paul used the analogy of marriage regarding our change of relationship to the law. So we're going to review a little bit about that teaching. So put up the next slide. Now you can see there, why did I put this slide up this morning? This was the original language that the Bible was penned in, the New Testament. This is the Koine or Common Greek. So I'm not going to be here with Dr. Carter to give you a lesson in Greek, but I want you to see that everything that we're drawing out of the Scripture was what was penned in the Scripture. So you can see there, that he says, therefore brothers, that's that word Adelphoi. Now anybody ever hear of Philadelphia? Philo meaning love, Adelphos meaning brother, bro, love. So the word brothers there is, is Adelphoi, right? You were made to die to the namas, the law, through the body, the samatas of Christos. Put up slide three. So I'm going to read it here in your common English so my wife doesn't get mad at me. Therefore, my brethren, you were also made to die to the law through the body of Christ, so that you might be joined to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. And slide 4, the New Living Translation says it this way. So, my dear brothers and sisters, this is the point. What's the point? 
You died to the power of the law when you died with Christ. When did that happen? Well, if you remember back in Romans 6, when you died with Christ, his death became our death. And now you are united with the one who, who was raised from the dead, that's Jesus. As a result of that, we can now produce a harvest of good deeds for God. And you need to ask yourself, if you're born again, are you producing a harvest of good deeds to serve the living God with what you do every day? So look at those sentences there. Slide five. You were made to die to the law through the body of Christ. Now that word die there, the way that they understood it, that's the word thanatu. And if you were here from last week's teaching, that verb speaks of completely dead, the finality of death. His death became your death. That's the finality of it. How did that take place? Christ's death on the cross for our sins is how it took place. His death was our death. How do we knit this together? Well, the purpose of you and I, church, if you are a born-again believer, having been put to death to the law, is so that you and I could then be joined, knit, glued together with Christ. That's important. This is why Paul was using that marriage analogy. You see, just as death would separate a wife from her husband so that she would be free to remarry, the believer has been separated by death from the law so that believer could be joined to Christ. His death on our behalf is what made that possible. Because Christ suffered the penalty of death on our behalf, we are now freed from the relationship to the law just as a widow is freed from the relationship to her former husband. And salvation is what brings that complete change of spiritual relationship. We're no longer married to the law, so that relationship is now null and void. It's done away with. Why? Because you, if you are the church, you are the bride of Christ. So even though you're no longer married to the law, we need to also keep in mind, as we learned last week, the law still has an important value to you and I. It continues to teach us, to instruct us. So what's the purpose of all this? Paul answers that question right here. To him who was raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit for God. So why are we able to bear fruit? Do we remember last week's teaching? Look at slide six. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared when? Remember what we learned last week? Beforehand. So that we could walk, that word in the Greek has the idea that our way of life would be to do good works that God had prepared beforehand for us to do. So that word workmanship, we, we learned about that word, slide seven. Remember that word, guys? You're learning your Greek now. I'm proud of you all. Yeah. That's the word poema. It's where we get our English word poetry from. Where is workmanship? So what does that mean? Just to recap real quick last week. Hear me this morning. This is important. You, if you are a born-again believer, you are God's masterpiece. You are his handiwork. Your being a Christian is totally and completely and only the entire work of God. He is the one who is doing something in you. God is the one that breathed breath into your lungs and gave you life. Paul says, 
you were created in Christ Jesus. What does that mean? That means you are a brand new creation. And as we learned last week, you have been put into Christ and Christ has been put into you. Think about it. The very life of God comes into your soul and makes you brand new. Have you ever thought about that? You are his creation. Remember ex nihilio? God created everything from nothing. He didn't need to go to Home Depot or Lowe's and get material to build the earth. From nothing. He spoke it into existence. That same God that spoke it into existence is literally living inside of you. He comes into you and I, church, and he makes us new. Have you thought about that? So are you new? He, he gives you and I a new nature. So then a Christian is a new creation. is nothing less. If you are born again, you have the life of Christ within you. This is why we can boast of nothing. It's all God's work. It's all God's plan. So church, in spite of ourselves, in spite of all the sin that still remains in each of us, we shall be made perfect because God has begun a work in us and he's not going to stop until he's completed it. But I want you to notice something. God is the one doing the work in us. We're not doing it. He's doing the work in us. So let's, com let's consider for a moment fruit. Remember those word, that word, karpas, fruit? So these verses are saying this bearing fruit, this is the purpose of the relationship that you and I have with Christ. Now, we learned, slide 8, that a person who is not a Christian, who is not born again, knows nothing of this purpose because they are still dead in their sins. How do we know this? Well, first of all, <clears throat> a person who is dead in their sins, now look at this closely, this is important. A person who is dead in their sins and trespasses, who is not born again, lives only for self. So the world revolves around them. Everything has to happen in order to make them feel happy and complete. He or she brings forth fruit only for himself or herself. An unsaved person who's dead in their sins, who knows nothing of this purpose, lives only to satisfy self. This is what we call being self-centered. You are the center. Everything revolves around you. Everything should be done exactly the way you want it done, when you want it done, how you want it done, and for no other reason. And a person who is dead in their sins, they're usually very proud of their morality. They're proud that they're not like other people. Where pride comes in and they look down. I'm here, you're here. This is how we know whether or not a person is born again. They know nothing of the purpose of bearing fruit for God. They have no interest in bearing fruit for God. Why would they want to do that? They want to bear fruit for self. That's why I said be careful, remember last week, where you get your information from. Be careful what you're allowing to disciple you. Okay? Meanwhile, on the slide nine, a person who's dead in their sins is all about pleasing self, coming up to their own standards, trusting in their own efforts and endeavors. Beware of those self-help books out there that makes you think you're the center of the universe, that you're in control. And they want everything to revolve around them. But for the Christian, slide 10, 
for the Christian, somebody that is totally born again, that has the life of Christ in them, they have an entirely new way of life. A fresh new purpose that is to glorify God and bear fruit for God. You see, church, listen. Something happens to a person when they come to a saving faith in Christ. Listen, they're given a new ability. They're given a new power. They're given a power that they did not have before their conversion. You ask yourself these questions this morning. Can you honestly say that about yourself? Can you honestly say this morning that you're not the same person you used to be before you got saved? Or are you even aware of the fact that there's a new life living in you? Do you sense God's presence in your life? I know these are tough questions, but they have to be asked because your soul depends on it. Can, can we say quite honestly that we have a new purpose in our life? That even though we know we're not worthy, our purpose now is to serve the living God. Do we wake up each day saying, Lord, how can I honor and serve you today? Whether I'm going to my job or whatever I'm doing, Lord, how can I honor and serve you today? Have you thought about your self-talk? What comes out of your mouth? Because your mouth is a tattletale of your heart. What's your reveal about your relationship with the Lord? It's getting quiet again, Dr. Carter. Well, how about slide 11 and 12? Like newborn babies long for the pure milk of the Word. They want that pure nourishment so that by they might grow and respect the salvation. And the NLT slide 12 puts it this way. Like newborn babies, you must crave pure spiritual milk. Why? So that you will grow into the full experience of salvation. Cry out for this nourishment. Cry out for this nourishment. Church, be honest with each other this morning. Be honest with God. Do we crave the pure spiritual milk of the Word of God? Do we have a hunger for the Word of God? Slide 13. That, that word, like newborn babies, that means just being born. Just born. The, the idea here in the Greek speaks of an infant, a newborn baby who was just born, and she's crying out or he's crying out for his mother's milk. See, there's this deep longing and hunger to be satisfied, that longing there in the Greek, slide 13, has the idea of a this craving, this intense, insatiable desire or passion. Do you and I have that insatiable desire or passion for the Word of God? If not, ask yourself honestly, why not? What what about the Word of God makes us like, well, you know, it's much easier to watch 17 hours of television or play video games for 17 hours a week. And the Bible just sits there collecting dust. Ask yourself, why don't I do that? And that word that is logigos, it's where we get our English word logic from, slide 14, is the living enduring word of God. So we put this all together. What is Peter trying to teach us? What does Peter want believers to know? He wants us to know that there should be in each of us this craving, this intense hunger for a word of God just like a newborn baby craves intensely desires her mother's milk for nourishment. Without being nourished by the Word of God, the other artificial sweeteners are going to come into your life, like the garbage that's being pumped into your head through the world, and it's going to try to take over your mind. 
Instead of let the Word of God guide your thinking and your thoughts. Think about it. When you get into situations that you don't like, what is guiding your emotional intelligence? What is guiding your heart and your mind? What's guiding it? If you don't have the Word of God in there, anger, bitterness, rage, frustration, hurling out profanity, that's all going to just be there. I got quiet again, Dr. Carter. I don't know. Listen to me. Hear me this morning. Church, it is the strong craving, the strong intense desire that's what causes a newborn to cry out for the milk of nourishment from her mom. It's not proper for a mother to supply her, her baby with something contaminated or watered down, thus starving the child. Don't starve yourself from the Word of God. Please don't. Listen, trust me on this. Trust the Word of God on this. You do not ever need a substitute for the Word of God. You really don't. We do not need it to be watered down with false teachings of the world. This is why it is so important that you and I do not neglect spending alone time with God and His Word. Here's an acid test for you. Forget me, I'm insignificant. This past seven days, how much time did you get alone with God and spend time in His Word? Ask yourself that. You don't have to answer out loud. Think about it. This past week, I want you to think about television time and video game time and Facebook time and Instagram time and TikTok time and all that. I want you to ask you this very honest question. Those things are out there. And they are fighting for your attention. They want you to spend time. Scroll, scroll, oh, scroll, scroll. But, but honestly, take the Word of God. Take those things. Who won? The flesh or the spirit? The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And then we wonder why we get sidetracked or our hearts get hijacked and we're going all way off the rails, starting to think things that really do not line up with the scripture. And then most people don't even remember what the scripture taught them in the first place because the Bible doesn't even get the leftovers of a week. I know it's hard to hear. As my father-in-law often says, it's hard to fit in the ear, but it's the truth. We don't need a substitute. We don't need something watered down. So, what does this mean? Well then, church, it may require a change of your eating habits. It may require a change in your mind, a change in your thinking about whether or not really the Word of God is important to you. And if the Word of God is not important to you, then you need to really ask yourself, am I truly born again? Here's the, here's the one thing we all can agree on, whether it's an atheist or, or us. Someday you're going to die. Someday you are going to pass away and there's not going to be any life left in that body and you and I are going to have to stand before the true living God and we're going to have to give an account of our behavior while we're here on earth, good and bad. So you think about your eating habits when it comes to the Word of God. Why can't God get five minutes a day? Why do the video games and the Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and TikTok envelope so much of our time and God is sitting over there waiting to have a conversation with you. And then I hear people say, God doesn't talk to me. No, 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 God talks. You have the wrong type of ears on. Your heart's not right. We want to feed the flesh. And yet God is craving to spend time with you and talk to you. And every time you open up the scripture and you start peering into the pages of it, you need to understand something. God's talking to you because I've said countless times before, God the Holy Spirit never works independently from His Word. 
If you sincerely want to go in Scripture and say, Lord, I need to hear from you, Holy Spirit does not return void without accomplishing what God wants to accomplish. Amen? So there may be a change of eating habits. Maybe we need to go on a television, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, a TikTok fast. You know, we can still say we can fast one or two meals, but what would it be like? Now, I want to ask you this honestly. Think about it. You listening around the world, think about it. What would be different in your life if you took the next three to four days and you shut all of that stuff off and you just spend time in the Word of God? Ask yourself this question. What would you start learning about yourself that you didn't even know about yourself? What would you start to see? Addiction is not just the crack, the meth, the heroin, the oxycodone. Yeah, that garbage will destroy your life. It'll destroy your brain. It'll fry your limbic system. Absolutely. But I want you to think about it for a minute. What would be different? Because here's the thing you need to understand. Here's a little bit of Dr. Applebox's counseling coming in. You have something called a limbic system. That's the back part of your brain here. That's where all your neurotransmitters are. This is not in my notes. I feel the Holy Spirit wanted me to teach you this. Amen. This is your prefrontal cortex. All right, this has a couple million cells, back here billions. And when you start doing things like that, it starts to activate the pleasure centers in your brain. They light up. In fact, when it comes to heroin and crack and porn, the same areas of the brain light up. The brain can't tell the difference between the two. Imagine that, that's your brain. So you need to understand something. When you start those patterns of behavior, your limbic system starts building these trails. If you've ever been on a trail, how do you know it's a trail? It's all walked down and matted down. So people walk that way a lot, right? Well, your brain has these trails and every time you're doing these activities and behaviors, you activate that limbic system and you build these neurotransmitters and you start going that way and so your brain, your subconscious, which is here, it's just automatic. And you don't even realize it's happening. Just like somebody in addiction doesn't realize it's, oh my gosh, the whole world's falling apart. Your intervention starts with the Word of God. Amen. That's where it starts. You need to build new neurotransmitters, new stuff in your limbic system back here. Activate this and say, you know, Lord, I'm going to get into your Word and I'm going to commit to at least five minutes a day. Just start out with five minutes a day. Open up, just like the book of Proverbs. There's 31 chapters. Most months there's 30 to 31. What would be different and I've said this to you many times before. If you read one chapter, just one chapter of Proverbs a day, just one, you'll have read 30 chapters by the end of one month. By the way, it takes about three to four minutes to read one chapter or less. I'm not asking you to go and write a magnum opus. I'm talking about five minutes or less. Do you realize if you read each chapter once a day for 30 days at the end of one year, you'll have read every one of those chapters 12 times? You can't sit there and tell me that that won't change your life. And that will open up new insights if you have a study Bible. Well, what did he mean when he said this? What did he mean when he said, trust in the Lord with all my heart? What, did, what does he mean when he says, don't lean on my under understanding? And in the Hebrew, the idea of leaning on your own understanding is somebody walking with a cane that really won't hold up the weight. They're leaning on something that's not going to sustain. And all your ways and everything you do, do it in grateful acknowledgement of who the Lord is. And he's going to direct your path. Now that path isn't going to be a smart, linear thing. He's going to navigate you through all of the bombs that blow up in your life and all of the problems. That's the directing of your path. So think about that. Pray about that. We need to change our eating habits. Maybe ask yourself, hey Lord, would you give me 
you know, the power to do a TV fast for just three days. Not talking the rest of your life, three days. What, where, where would you be harmed if you did that for yourself and more importantly from God? How would you be different? Amen? Amen. He finishes up slide 15. So that by it you may grow. Oxano, grow. Enlarge, growing up in understanding your salvation. Think about that. Hear me this morning. Don't be content where you are spiritually. Don't. There should always be this longing, this desire for you and I to continually grow and mature in a relationship with the Lord. See, some people, they've been supposedly saved for 10 or 15 years. They're still on the dating relationship with the Lord. they like, well, I can fit you in, Lord, Friday evening from 7 to 10. We'll catch dinner in a movie. They're on that dating thing, you know? So, God's not interested in that. You know, that's fine when you come to know Him. But God wants you to have such an intimate relationship with Him that you sense His presence wherever you go. See, so close you could almost smell Him. Think about that. What would be different in your life if you did that? How would your life be different if you did that? Think about it. When suffering and trials come into our lives, we're then able to stand and endure through them. Why? Because we've been well-fed and nourished with the word of the living God. Amen? But you see, however, again, it's not true of somebody that's dead in their sins. Slide 16. Remember last week? Here's an acid test. Unsaved people are bored of church. They're bored of church worship. See, somebody that's unsaved, they don't see any benefit. I got my eggs and food. I got my sticky. I'm going to march out the door, suck a few cigarettes, walk up and down High Street. Ah, yeah, that's life. They have no understanding of what's being taught. They think to themselves, what does this in the world have to do with me? They're going to find out real quick when they're standing before the beam of seat of the Lord. Amen. So then, church, if, if you can honestly say that your desire is to know more of the Word of God if you sense that there is something working in you that wasn't there before it gives evidence that you belong to Christ Amen. there you go it's important before we move ahead for us to take a moment and understand just what the fruit is that you and I should be bearing and what fruit we should not be bearing Paul gives us that, slide 17 and 18. He gives us this. So first, the flute that we should not be bearing. Now the ergons, the deeds, the works of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality. Look at this list, church. Follow with me. Idolatry, sorcery. That's where we get our word pharmacy from enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, enviousness, drunkenness, getting high, carousing, and things like these of which I forewarn you, just as I've already forewarned you. Now look at what he says. Look what Paul says. That those who practice, that's the, pro, that's the word process, those who practice as a way of life such things, 
those things, if I, they're my way of life, I'm going to practice. He says, listen, you're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. So take a good look at that list and say, am I feeding at the wrong table? I'm going to unpack that. Look at slide 18. So what are, let's unpack with these words. Immorality. Immorality, that's, that's where we get the word pornos from, or for pornography, is illicit sexual activity, which is fornication, homosexuality, or prostitution. That's what it means. I didn't write it. That's what the Bible says. And that's the final authority. If I'm practicing that, I'm going to burn in hell for all eternity. I'm not saved. I didn't write Galatians 5. God did through Paul. Impurity. That's a medical term. This has the idea of, of an infected oozing wound. It is uncleanness. It is something that prevents a person from approaching God. Sensuality. This speaks of somebody who has a lack of restraint. It is unrestrained sexual indulgence without any shame or concern for what other people think. Do we see that going on in the world today? We can't be that blind. Idolatry. Worshipping man-made images or things in the world which are not God. Slide 19 and 20. Sorcery. Again, that's the Greek word pharmakia, where we get our English word pharmacy from. You see, sorcery speaks of mind or mood-altering drugs. Many of the occult practices, especially back in Paul's day, involved using drugs to induce communications with the spirits or so-called deities. A lot of demon activity floats around that. You're practicing that, you're in trouble. Enmities. What does that mean, Pastor Jack? I'm glad you asked. It speaks of sinful human relationships, hateful attitudes towards people. Are there people that you hate? You don't know what that person did to me. Now, do you know what you did to God? Strife. Nobody's got strife in their life. Everybody's okay. That's bitter conflicts with other people. Jealousy. That's a form of anger and hateful resentment for others because they have what you think you're entitled to. Slide 20. Outbursts of anger. Outbursts of anger. What is, it? What is he talking about? He, he's taking the word anger because there is righteous anger and there's unrighteous anger. He's labeling, he's putting it with the word outburst of anger. See, that's a fierce passion. That is actual hostility towards somebody. Are there people that when you're around, you get hostile with them? Disputes, distensions, factions, and envy speaks of animosities between people or groups that continue to allow bitterness and anger to fester long after the conflict's over. Two people curse each other out in 16 different languages, walk away, and they, they don't stop there. They have that dissension there. They have that dispute. And then drunkenness, which is the prototype in Scripture of all addictions and carousing. What is that? Well, actually, <clears throat> it had a special reference to actual orgies that were practiced in pagan worship ceremonies. That's how vile and filthy that is. Today, it speaks more of people who are drunk or rowdy all the time or high all the time completely blown away all the time 
And sadly, church, these sins that we just went through in Galatians are still dominant in our culture today. And Paul, not Pastor Jack, Paul, under the direction of God the Holy Spirit, makes it clear that those who practice any of these behaviors as an ongoing way of life, according to Paul, according to what the Word of God says, will not inherit the kingdom of God. <clears throat> I sense there's a lot of people that have to get on their hands and knees and repent. Amen. Confess your sins to God that you have these. Paul uses that word practice. Slide 21. Prosso. Ongoing, continual habit. So church, hear me this morning. If your life is characterized by practicing these behaviors as a habitual, ongoing way of life, then you need to turn away from it, repent, and turn to God. I know that's really hard to fit in the ear. I know that's tough. But listen, if you sat here, you listening around the world have heard it, you now have no excuse. You can't go to God when you're up there and say, I didn't know. You do know now. Now what about the fruit, the karpas of the pneuma, the fruit of the Spirit? <clears throat> These are the fruits that would be characteristic in somebody that is a born-again believer. Slide 22. Galatians 5, 22-24. Now the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. There's no law against that. The other things are law-breaking, right? Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. I want you to see the contrast here this morning. Think about it. <clears throat> I want you to notice something. The deeds of the flesh are deeds that are performed by the person's own efforts. Whether that person saved or not. But the fruit of the Spirit it is produced in you by God's own spirit if you belong to him through coming to a saving faith in Christ alone. But the fruit of the spirit is produced by God's own spirit in the lives of those who belong to him. The Holy Spirit never fails, ever fails to produce this kind of fruit in the life of a believer. The fruit of the spirit is an outward indicator of salvation. Remember what Jesus said, slide 22, Matthew 7, 16? You will, epinosis, you will know them by their fruits. So let's look at this list. So this is slide 22, 3 through 25. Love, agape toy. This speaks of self-giving, sacrificial love. This agape toy is not an emotional thing. See, agape is, is an act of the will. It is a commitment. And that commitment to love, now listen, that commitment to love that person is never predicated on that person's performance. You choose to love that person and it doesn't matter what their performance is. It doesn't matter. That's agape toy. Okay? It is unconditional. 
I'll love you if you give me this. I'll love you if you do this for me. I'm sorry, that's not love. That's not love at all. That's, that's gaslighting and control. Joy. This speaks of a deep down in your heart emotion or feeling of happiness to those who know that everything is well between them and the Lord. In fact, Nehemiah 8.10 says, The joy of Yahweh is your strength. Now look at that. Think of that. Joy. That deep down, that feeling, that, that presence, that emotion, that you know that everything's okay between you and the Lord. Because that joy of Yahweh, that's where your strength comes from. That's powerful. Peace. Irene is the Greek word. It speaks of tranquility in your mind. This tranquility in your mind comes from that saving relationship that you have with the Lord. Do you have that peace? Or do you still have that seismic activity, those earthquakes happening inside you? You can't control your anger. You can't control anything. Patience. Macrothemeo speaks of tolerance and long-suffering that a believer endures from injuries inflicted by others and a willingness to accept the situations that are irritating or painful. If you love somebody, you're patient with them. You give them time to grow. If you love your kid growing up, how much time, think about it, if you're a mom or a dad, how much time did you give your kid to learn how to walk? You give them as much time. You're patient. You're giving them time to work through it and learn and grow through it. Patience, that's one of the hallmarks of a healthy marriage and relationship. When a husband and wife, you got two sinners coming together and they bring all that baggage of sin into the relationship. But if the agape toy is there, the act of the will is there, and the patience is there, you allow each other to grow. But the growth in a marriage that is a covenant marriage happens when the husband and wife have God first and they're praying for each other and they have that relationship with the Lord. Patience. Kindness. Speaks of tender concern for others. It's a desire to want to treat someone else gently. Ooh, got quiet again, Dr. Carter. Goodness. Speaks of kindness and virtue. Moral excellence, respectability, and honesty. Are you honest with people? Do you respect people? Faithfulness speaks of, that's pististamon. It speaks of loyalty and trustworthiness. If you're married, can your husband trust his wife? Can his wife trust her husband? Can your boss trust you at work not to steal, lie, cheat, manipulate? Sitting around the water cooler telling off-color jokes. Are you faithful in giving God time or does the video games get 18 hours a week of your life? Gentleness, meekness, speaks of being patient, submissive to every offense while being free from any desire for revenge or retribution. Vengeance is mine, say with the Lord, I will repay. Amen. You know, when you're looking for retribution or, or vengeance, you're the one in bondage. Have you ever really understood true biblical forgiveness? I want you to think about this real quick. True biblical forgiveness, the way that Christ taught it to us, is choosing, listen now, listen up, this is important. 
True biblical forgiveness means that you choose not to make the offending party pay for how they hurt you, but you absorb the cost yourself. Doesn't mean you forget. If somebody says forget, that's a lie. You have a brain. You don't forget. But true biblical forgiveness, if you're truly a Christian, means that you choose not to make the person pay for how they harmed you, but you're willing to absorb the cause of Why? Because that's exactly what Jesus Christ did for every one of you and you listening around the world. He did not force you to pay him back for how you hurt him. Think about it when he's... Imagine you're sitting there in front of your TV or your video games and he's picturing right next to you and he's just waiting for you to spend some time with him. But we're so preoccupied that he doesn't even get the leftovers of a week. That's scary, church. And then finally, self-control. Restraining your passions or appetites. This is the fruit that we should bring forth for God because we're joined to Christ. Now, take a look at the two different lists. I want you to think about what you just learned. So the fruit of the Spirit is produced by Christ in you, by through the Holy Spirit. The deeds of the flesh in Galatians 5, the first verses, are what we produce. I'm going to do one more, slide 26, 27, and then we're going to stop. For while, or because we were in the flesh, that's the sarks, that's the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in the members of our body to bear fruit for death. And the NLT puts it this way, slide 27. When we were controlled by our old sin nature, the sinful desires that you saw on that list before were at work within us. The law aroused these evil desires that produced a harvest of sinful deeds resulting in death. Are we saying that the law is sin, Pastor Jack? No. Let's break it down real quick and then I'll finish up. I only have 25 more slides. We should be done by 4 o'clock. No, okay. Five minutes. For while we are in the flesh, while we were controlled by that old sin nature. All right, so what is Paul trying to get across to here? Now, I'm sure we've all noticed by now that there's something in man, something in each of us that at times will make you and I do what we know is forbidden by God to do whether it's sleeping with somebody you're not married with, whatever it is. When a person is restricted, when somebody says, no, you can't do that. You can't do that, no. You know, you can't run that red light. And sometimes we're like, oh, there's nobody around, we run the red light. No, not me. He or she wants to break through that restriction, go well beyond what they're allowed to do. Because we all want autonomy. We want control to do what we want to do. I'm entitled. Sadly, believers at times fall into these behaviors. But here, he's talking about the person's former life before that person was saved who was in an ongoing state of sin and that sin had authority over that person's life. So he's speaking of that evil principle of sin that controls this person's whole life, every aspect of her life. He's speaking of a person whose heart is so polluted at the very core and under the dominion of the law. So what does Paul mean in the flesh? He's talking about something that used to be true of a true Christian, which is now no longer true of a Christian. 
If you're a Christian, it's no longer true. So then, if you are truly a follower of Christ, a Christian, this is no longer true of you because you are walking in the Spirit. What you just read. Love, joy, peace, patience, temperance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. All human beings on earth are in one of those two conditions. What does he say? You're either under the dominion of the law or the spirit, which is under grace. Slide 28. Paul says the sinful passions or sinful desires. The King James says the motions, the motions of sin. It's interesting. You guys know your Greek and don't either. Have you ever heard of the word pathology? Somebody has cancer, they got to go to pathology to get the test, right? Pathome, it's a Greek word. So every time you see the word pathology, you're like, oh, I know what that means. It's a Greek word. Well, here, the pathame has the idea of sinful affections as the idea of the lusting of the mind. By the way, it all starts here. It doesn't start here. It all starts here. That's why Paul says in Romans 12, too, by the renewing of your mind. Paul wants us to know that when we were in the flesh, these motions of sin were at work within us. Paul says in Ephesians 2, slide 29, you, now again, he's writing to the church here. He's writing to the church at Ephesus. You were, Aris past tense, you used to be dead in your trespasses and sins. Trespass just means, here's the line. If you go there, you're, you're, you cross the line. You're now trespassing. You're not allowed to go on that property. It says no trespassing. So trespassing means, you know, that's the line. And I go, yep, I'm trespassing. I'm going to go beyond it. You were dead in your trespassing sins. You formerly walked, parapeteo. Your former way of life was according to the course of this world. According to the prince of the power of the air. That's Satan. He's the spirit of, that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Paul says, we too, formerly, Aris tense, we used to live in the lust of our flesh. Paul says, listen, we used to indulge in the desires of our flesh and of our mind. And we were also, by nature, children of wrath, just like everyone else. That's what Paul says. That is the result of the fall, church. Sadly, today, people live to eat and indulge in sexual behavior. These things are lawful as long as they are kept in place and governed by a sense of righteousness, which is glory of God. Amen. That means you don't lay with somebody that way until they're your husband or wife. Amen. Ladies, let me ask you a question again. And gentlemen, gentlemen, if you really love her, not just with lip service, why isn't she worth the wait? Why? You say, oh, I love you, I love you. Having sex is not love. I'm sorry. That's eros. That's not love. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. If, if you really love her, and ladies, if you really love him, why isn't he worth the wait? Why, you know, we wonder why are there, there's over 50% of divorce in the world. 70% by second marriages. Well, pregnancies are out of control. Because people want to follow the world. Because they look at Hollywood and TV. They see the ladies prancing around half naked. That's acceptable. That's not acceptable to God. Amen. Who's discipling you again? Oh, it's quiet. It's quiet again, Dr. Carter. I don't know. Let me close there. I know I'm blowing your brains out, so let's bow your heads this evening, this morning. If you're here this morning, 
I want to ask you a very honest question. I ask every week. If you were to drop dead today, hit by a car, car accident, heart attack, whatever, and you're dead, they hit you with the paddles, you're not coming back, and you're ushered before the beam of seed of God, you're ushered into his presence, and God looks you straight in the eye, and he looks you in the eye, he says, why should I let you into my heaven? What do you think about that? Why should I let you in heaven? And right on each side of you, there's a big video thing showing every simple rotten thing you've ever did. Now I want to give you the courtroom. You're in a courtroom. The judge is at the center. On the left side, you have Satan, who's your prosecuting attorney. He doesn't even have to lie. He just has to show what you did. On the right side is Jesus, your defense attorney. Satan sits there and says, Hey, Father, Father, listen, so-and-so did all this. You did. He got high, drunk, laid with people wasn't married to, used profanity, this, this, that, and the other. Evidence is there. You're guilty. Think about it. What's the job of a judge? To mete out justice. If you were with a friend at a bank, and a guy comes in and ba 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 and he kills your friend or kill somebody you love, your mom, your dad, your brother, sister, wouldn't you want the judge to throw the key at him? Wouldn't you want the judge to prosecute him? Yep. Think about it. What would you want the judge? You want to make sure that guy pays for how he hurt and killed somebody you love. Amen. Right? The Bible says, for the payment for sin is death. That's what it says. The wages, the paycheck for sin is death. Eternally separated from God. For all eternity. No second chance, no do-overs. It's appointed once for a man to die and then the judgment. Right? And you're guilty. You're guilty. The judge says you're guilty. But then, here's what happens. Here's the gospel. Jesus comes up. And he says, Father, he approaches the bench. Every sinful, filthy, rotten thing that so-and-so ever did, I'm going to pay for it. Father, you could take everything that's bad and horrible about this human being, you place it on me, I'll pay the debt in full. So even though he's guilty, he can leave the courtroom free, not because he deserves it, not because he's worth it, because Jesus paid it all. Amen. Jesus paid it all. Thank you, all to him I owe. Thank you, Lord. Right? Sin has left its crimson stain, but he washes me whiter than snow. So everything bad about you and I gets placed on Christ. His perfect life of obedience that we didn't live, that he lived, gets placed on us. So when the father sees the person who's born again, he sees his son. There's your gospel. Bow your heads this morning. Where do you fit this morning? You listening around the world, where do you fit? Do you fit in that Galatians 5 where the deeds of the flesh, the immorality and everything? Or have you repented of your sin and surrendered your life to Jesus Christ? Have you knelt down and asked him to forgive you for every sinful, filthy, rotten thing you've ever done? Have you asked him to save you? To wash you clean with his crimson blood? This is important. You don't get a second chance. I know I feel the Holy Spirit so strong here right now I can barely stand up. I know he's talking to somebody here this morning. 
Oh, I could feel his presence all over him, tingling up and down. You have to make a decision today. You either repent and believe. That's what the gospel says. You repent. That means you confess your sins to Christ. He already knows them anyway. The, the confession is not for his benefit. It's for yours. You come clean with him. Totally clean. And you place your faith and trust in what he has done for you on that cross at Calvary 2,000 years ago. When that blood was spilled. When he took punches to the face. Beard ripped out of his face. A flagellum with the claws on it. Tearing his flesh, exposing his spine. Having nails drilled through his wrists and his feet. Blood was spilled at Jesethamine for you. Blood was spilled at the whipping stone for you. Blood was spilled at the cross for you. You better think about that. The only way that you will step into glory is only because of what Christ accomplished for you on that cross. Like I said, every filthy thing about me, I don't deserve it. I'm telling you, I really don't. I should be burning in hell for all eternity. I am not the person I am today when I, back when I was in a band, traveling all over, doing things you don't even want to know about. But he took every filthy, rotten thing about me and he placed it on himself and he took that life of perfect righteousness that I don't deserve and he placed it on me and he can do the same for you. So if you're here this morning, I want to encourage you, deeply encourage you to surrender your life to Christ as it has been freely offered to you in the gospel. So that way when you drop dead, you are not burning in hell. Because listen, it is appointed once for a man to die and then to judgment. Amen? Amen. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In Yeshua's name, amen.